Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Friday, September 1st, day five of the 2023 U.S. Open, now officially in the books. I want to change up the format of today's recap show. I want to touch on all 16 matches that unfolded on day five. Now, I'm going to limit myself. Never more than five minutes on any of these matches. Some of them a blitz through a little bit more quickly, but we finally have some organization to the chaos that is the first week of any major event. And, you know, 16 matches, I was able to watch the majority of most of these matches, certainly able to watch highlights on all of them. Want to bring you all up to date on everything that's unfolded on day number five, because again, half of these players are through to week two. Before we know it, the round of 16 will be upon us. And, you know, maybe you don't lock into all eight round of 16 matches on any given day, but certainly I know many of you listeners are going to be locked into all the quarters, certainly all the semifinal, the final matches at this U.S. Open. We finally have few enough singles results that I do want to touch on everything. So again, Rapid fire would be disingenuous. I do want to spend some time on some of these matches in particular, obviously Novak Djokovic surviving a two sets to love deficit to earn a five set win over Laszlo Jera. That was a fun nightcap that kept all of us up later than expected here, I guess on Saturday morning. Djokovic survives. Rabakina gets knocked out. It was a really good day for the Americans, in particular the American men. There are storylines I want to touch on here on today's show, and I will still get to that in the midst of offering thoughts on all 16 matches. But again, in case you missed out on anything that happened through week one, perhaps this can serve as your primer heading into the weekend. You'll feel up to date on everything that's unfolded. And then come the round of 16 on Sunday, you will be ready to rock and roll into week two of this U.S. Open. Of course, if you are looking for additional preview coverage, maybe you're headed to the Open one of these days coming up. Check out our Great Shot podcast feed. I post preview podcasts every day around 4, 5 p.m. Eastern time. Again, given we are now in a manageable portion of the schedule, I do offer thoughts, predictions on every singles match that's unfolding on any given day. I'm particularly proud of those podcasts for what it's worth, and I would greatly appreciate all of you Mini Break listeners going to check some of those out. Certainly, even if you don't go check those out, subscribe to the Great Shot Podcast feed, leave a review, please leave a five-star rating. It's always greatly appreciated here at Cracked Rackets, but again, preview content over on the Great Shot Podcast feed every day, 4, 5 p.m. Eastern time. We'll stick with the recapping here on the Mini Break Podcast, and I'm hoping to have a guest join me tomorrow to help set the scene as we move into week two of this 2023 U.S. Open. All that said, before we get into day five of this event, a shout out to all of you listeners and a shout out to our friends at Tennis Point, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. Also, and I know I've mentioned this of late, but we're very excited to be headed to Oklahoma that second weekend of September, third weekend technically, if this counts as the first uh, for the Oklahoma Tennis Foundation event. It's a really fun round-robin team event that we're going to have on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. Obviously, we're going to speak to a bunch of the players throughout the course of the event as well. It's going to be really fun. You're going to want to check it out. It's on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. I am just about getting ready to start my preparation for that event. So again, 
be on the lookout for more talk of what we're doing in Oklahoma in the middle of September coming up soon. Of course, college tennis getting rocking, uh, fall getting rocking and rolling as well. That's how you say that in English. We got cool things coming up here at Cracked Racket. So like, rate, subscribe, review not only to this show, the Great Shot podcast feed, but make sure you're subscribed to our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel as well. And again, all of our content available on our website, CrackedRackets.com. All right. Let's talk day five of the 2023 U.S. Open. And again, we got 16 matches to roll through here. Obviously, the lead has to be Novak Djokovic. And I was sitting down late last night. We watched Louisville close out a come-from-behind victory over Georgia Tech, which had super producer Daniel Westoff extraordinarily excited. And I don't think I've ever seen him this amped up for a football season. Now, what I've learned is the standards at for the Louisville football program, a little bit different than the standards for Michigan. That said, it's fun to have Westoff excited about anything, fun for us to share an interest. And so as we were watching Louisville last night, we were swapping between that, Coco Goff's three-set win over Elisa Mertens. And then, of course, we flash things over to the nightcap on Arthur Ashe. Novak Djokovic versus Laszlo Jera. Now, Jera has had a spectacular summer. And I was at Tennis Channel getting to call the majority of his run to the final in Hamburg, that 500-level clay court event in July. Now, yes, that was a clay court event, but to watch him beat French Open quarterfinalist Thomas Martin Echeverry, to watch him beat Lorenzo Musetti, a guy in Zheng Zhizhen who we saw obviously eliminate Casper Ruud in this tournament. Laszlo was playing really good ball. He followed that up by making semis the next week in uh, Kitzbühel, losing in 7-6 in the third to team. I know he didn't have the best hard court summer coming in. Three-set loss to Kokonakis and Cincy Qualies. Quarters in Winston-Salem, knocked out by Baez. But to see him get straight-set wins over Nakashima, over Gaston, coming into this event, uh, coming into this round, excuse me, at this U.S. Open, I said on our preview podcast— He brings a degree of physicality, a degree of discipline that was just going to give Novak Djokovic troubles, was going to ensure this match featured a plethora of 10, 15, even 20-shot rallies, a plethora of, again, Djokovic getting stretched into the outer third and, you know, Jera forcing Djokovic to have to hit not one, but three extra balls per rally. Jera who's springier on the serve than I remembered, hit the T-serves both on the ad and do side so successfully throughout the course of the night. Just didn't make any unforced errors early in the match. Came locked in physically, demanding the best out of Djokovic. And, you know, early on, nighttime conditions in Ash, things obviously slow down. Djokovic couldn't hit through Jera, who, you know, Djokovic tried to target that Jera forehand Jarrah was locked in, was hitting the down the line as well as I've ever seen him hit it, but maybe more impressively had time to snap through the ball cross court, which is where he's always his most successful. Again, Jarrah overall made, one, I think, 70% of his first serve points and you know didn't get broken through the first uh, two sets. Uh, he won 90% of his first serve points in the second set and didn't get broken through the first two sets of the match. Four and four, he takes the openers, holds that love to close out the second. You know, there was a legitimate moment where I looked at Westoff, and again, Louisville wins, closes out a come-from-behind victory. Now, all of a sudden, Jera closes out the second set. It's two sets to love. I look at Westoff, and I go, dude, you might have to stay awake. 
because I might have to post an emergency podcast. That's how well, how locked in Laszlo Jarrell was playing in the first two sets. And look, he made 58 unforced errors in the course of the match, 16 in the first two sets. So 42 in sets three, four, and five, 16 unforced errors through the first two sets. I don't know how else to compliment him other than to say he answered the question physically. He asked every question of Djokovic, and he just swung his racket freely. He played brilliant tennis, and the sort of tennis that has him peaking back up towards his career high, sitting at 38 coming into the event. Uh, you look for him now, uh, Laszlo Jera coming out of this in the live rankings, currently sitting at 37. So, you know, again, didn't move that much rankings-wise. You look for him, though, perhaps more pressingly in the points race this season. Laszlo Jera currently sitting at 29th overall. Yeah, he's been a top 30 guy, I would say, this year, certainly down the back half of the season. The big takeaway, though, of course, is Novak survives. And I looked at Tennis Abstract, which doesn't factor in matches that end in retirement like the Wawrinka and Musetti matches. Djokovic, 6-26. and 26 in his career coming into last night after dropping the first two sets. First of all, that he's only been down two sets to love 32 times in his career. This guy's been playing major events since, what, 06? Ridiculous. Um, You know, again, the fact that he now has seven come-from-behind wins from two sets to love down, this one pretty dominant down the home stretch, 6-7, or excuse me, 4-6-4-6-6-1-6-1-6-3. The moment where I knew I could go to sleep, and I didn't, but the moment I knew, okay, this match is over, Djokovic breaks for one love in the, in the fourth. Jera breaks him right back for one all. And let's be clear, Djokovic let out an emotional roar after that break for one love. Jera breaks him right back for one all. Djokovic breaks back for 2-1 doesn't drop another game the rest of the set. You just knew once Djokovic got to the fifth, he had it. And he went into backboard mode. Djokovic makes 36 unforced errors overall in the match. 18 of those 36 came in the first two sets. You know, again, he faced, uh, he was broken, I think, twice in the opening two sets. Broken at the opening, uh, broken back to start the fourth, but was never down a break in sets three, four, or five. I mean, again, he wins Cincinnati, cruises through his first two matches, gets tested here, two sets to love down, but advances through in what was, again, a tight physical match that forced him to have to play a little bit more aggressively, that forced him to have to hit through his forehand uh, with a little more chutzpah. You know, again, why was this match so close? It's because Laszlo Jera played top 10 tennis in the first two sets, just didn't give away anything for free. And ma- answer the question, match the, the test physically. That level went away in sets three, four, and five as Djokovic simultaneously raised his. Again, this was a really good test for Novak. I don't think we learned anything new about him coming out of it, but I do think it's worth repeating. You look for Novak Djokovic on hard courts now this year. He's 23 and one. 23 and one overall in the year on hard courts. Guy's 36 years old. Sometimes you just have to ask yourself, what are we doing here? He's 23-1 on hard courts. Alcaraz has won over 90% of his matches this season. It's Pantheon-level stuff, and we all get to enjoy it each and every day. All right, that was over my five-minute rule, but that was your most notable result of the day. Let's move over now to the biggest upset we saw on the day. Elena Rabakina 
who was unequivocally a top five contender. Now, I did differentiate in both my draw preview as well as I like to think here on the mini break podcast through week number one. I do think there was a gap. I think tier one was pretty clearly Iga, Sabalenka. They've earned that benefit of the doubt. Both made Cincy semis. Both came in with enough momentum. They had to be tier number one. Tier two was pretty clear as well. Rabakina, Pagula, Goff, in whatever order you deem fit. And look, after Rabakina blitz Marta Kostjuk, what, one and two in round number one, I was feeling really good about her form moving into the rest of this U.S. Open. I think the biggest crime for Rabakina is that she unfortunately got a withdrawal from Tomjanovic in round two. I think Rabakina needed more matches because she just came out slow, sloppy in her matchup against Serana Kirstea. And Look, I mean, again, ultimately, Kirstea able to knock out Rabakina, 6-3, Now, Kirstea's put together a couple of really good hardcourt runs this year and, you know, has had almost a career season here at age 33, 29-18 overall in the year now is Kirstea. Of course, she made the semifinals in Miami, arguably the biggest run of her career to date earlier this season, those 23 uh, wins, by the way at the tour level, uh, third most in her career, trails just 2021 where she had 24, she had 27 and 20, oh no, excuse me, I should have scrolled down a little lower, but the point is she still has more season to go, she's on a very good pace to match that career high, excuse me, 29 wins so far this season, yeah, that's the third most in her career, career trails just 2012 and 2013, and again, she still has two more months to go, look, Kirstea was just ready physically for this matchup. And I've said this earlier this week, when Kirstea is rolling, it looks a lot like Garbine Muguruza out there. Just again, the length, the fluidity, the ability to, with her size, absorb a little bit of pace, redirect it. Again, she came out hot, got off to a quick start in and getting out the early break lead, holding on to that break lead, and you know, again, taking that opening set 6-3. Now, of course, you look after that, and I think particular... Uh, sets, set number one, Rabakina made 52% of her first serve, 14 unforced errors. Again, she came out of the gate slow. Kirstea capitalized on that. And then Kirstea did a great job going about 15 of 16, by the way, on first serve points in that opening set for Kirstea. Did a great job of continuing to attack whenever the first strike opportunities presented themselves. But, you know, more than anything, Stayed relentless. And the big news, of course, Rabakina breaks Kirstea, serving for the match 5-3 in the third, then gets broken, serving for the match. And disappointing ending on a double fault, obviously, for Rabakina. But again, after getting broken for the match, Kirstea puts returns in play, which is almost the most difficult thing to do against Rabakina, withstands a couple of first strikes. Now, Rabakina, 30 winners against 56 unforced errors. Again, it was a sloppy day at the office for the number four seed, and that's where you start to wonder, had she had the rhythm of a Tom Janovich match in round two, maybe she comes in a little bit more prepared is the wrong word, a little bit sharper to start the match. But again, credit to Serana Kirstea through two round number four at a major with this result. You look for Kirstea, she's back up to number 27 in the live ranking, six off her career high. You look for Serana Kirstea in her career at the major. She's only been uh, two round number four, I believe one other time. Yeah, she, uh, no, excuse me, four other times. She did it uh, twice at the Australian Open, twice at Roland Garros. That's what it was. First U.S. Open fourth round appearance for her. Uh, again, someone whose first round of 16 came back in 2009. So 
14 and a half years later, still making second weeks at slams, still knocking out top 10 players. Again, really good victory for Serana Kirstea to advance to the third round. Disappointing exit, obviously, for Robachna, given particularly how sharp she was on hard courts to start the season. Didn't have a ton of rhythm. Again, I'm not particularly surprised by this result. I did have Robachna. I don't know if I had her on upset alert or in the fun category going into my daily preview, but you knew that match could get tricky for her. Ultimately, it does. Rabakana knocks out. Kirstea advances. That's really your big upset, really your only upset between the men and women on the day. The only time a, yeah, that, that's your only upset where a lower or unseeded player beat a higher seed through all of day number five. So now I want to talk about the Americans. I, I mentioned this is one of the big storylines, and it was a really good day for the Americans overall. Let's start on the women's side. You look for Coco Goff. Yes, another three-set match. She's played two three-set matches in her first three rounds. And, you know, again, you look at that at a 30,000-foot view, maybe you start to get concerned. But in a vacuum, you know, Siegemann came out guns blazing in set number one in round one. And Elisa Mertens was lights out in set number one of this match. 11 winners against eight unforced errors, five of six at the net, two of three on break point chances. Just felt like she was on top of Every ball Coco Goff was hitting uh, her, capturing that heavy topspin forehand of Goff by short hopping it and you know taking that ball down the line, applying pressure on Goff, beating her to the spot, taking the net away from Goff. Elisa Mertens just came out guns bla- blazing, playing so free, so loose, and you know again Coco Goff also came out sloppy. Uh, a lot, of, especially the backhand, just kept clipping the net tape and landing back on her side or. You know, again, spraying a little long on her. That said, once Coco Goff locked in in sets two and three, cleaned everything up, and ultimately Coco, you know, 24 winners against 14 unforced errors in sets two and three combined, you know, ultimately gets broken just one more time in sets two and three, started to protect her first serve particularly easily. Started asserting herself much more at the net. Goes 2 of 6 in set number 1. 14 of 19 in sets 2 and 3. And look, six th- it was a 6-love third set. Anytime you have that sort of lopsided scoreline, the stats are going to look pretty positive for Goff in the end. But again, the ability to problem solve, the ability to get the crowd behind her towards the ending of set number 2 and when she started to get that break lead and separate herself from there... You know, from there, the match was never in doubt. Goff found her rhythm. Merton certainly's level dipped, and she wasn't able to capture that topspin deal. You know, again, how physical you have to be to capture that topspin on the rise repeatedly. It's going to drain the legs, and she just wasn't able to sustain that level. Now, again, for Elisa Mertens to fight off match points in round one and two, be up a set against Goff. She had a good U.S. Open, uh, but Coco Goff advances, and again— the big one we're all looking for is Goff Sviantek in the quarterfinals. But guess what? Goff was Niaki as a semifinals. Pretty darn fun as well. And again, it's another player who doesn't have an overwhelming weapon to really, you know, again, take time away from Coco with, go after the forehand with. It's a very good matchup for Coco Goff because her physicality is never in doubt. She will be ready to play the 40-ball requisite rallies it takes to hit through Caroline Wozniacki. And if Wozniacki gives her time on the backhand wing, you know, Goff's going to be much more explosive and consistent going down the line with that ball following it forward than Jennifer Brady was here in round three. And look, for Wozniacki, 
to get through to round four, again, she's played like 10 total matches on this comeback tour, and now she's in the second week of the Open. It's ridiculous. And for Wozniacki, 4-6, 6-3, 6-1, she knocks out Brady. Again, for both players, really good week of tennis. Uh, obviously, for Brady working her way back from injury, Wozniacki working her way back from retirement. They're both going to be back inside the top 500 very, very quickly, maybe even top 300 pretty quickly. You know, Jen Brady was lights out with the forehand in set number one and so disciplined and willing to absorb all the physicality of Wozniacki in the sense she was willing to play the, the 15, the 20 ball rallies, grind, backhand, backhand, cross court until Wozniacki left something a little bit in the center for Brady to pounce on with a forehand. But Wozniacki's ability to find the backhand corner was elite. In this match, every backhand hit into that outer third. Jennifer Brady's ad side. No easy forehands for Jennifer Brady in sets two and three. And, I mean, again, you could just watch Jen Brady run out of gas, run out of legs in this match. And that's what Wozniacki does to you. She just And it's incredible that she's still able to do this coming out of retirement. But no mental mistakes. Always the correct choice. She is stepping up, taking that forehand a little bit more authoritatively, efficient. 12 of 14 at the net, 6 of 12 on break points. You know, again, she pulled away in this match down the home stretch. Wozniacki ultimately 4 6, 6 3, 6 1. She advances. It's really fun. Round four match, certainly on paper. One you imagine is going to see a full house. One I imagine Coco Goff actually gets through pretty comfortably. Uh, again, Brady knocked out on the day. Goff advances. Goff, the only American women's winner on the day. And we'll get to Para. We'll get to Townsend uh, in a little bit. But I want to roll through the American men because, boy, was it an exciting day for American men's tennis. And look, you could argue all four guys, Tiafo, Fritz, Paul, even Ben Shelton, you could argue they were all favorites entering this day. If that's the case, then they did their job as they all emerged. Certainly, Tiafo Paul Fritz as seeds were the favorites. And I mean, look, let's do Taylor Fritz quickly here. I said in my preview show, his pace was just going to overwhelm the 17-year-old Jakob Menzik. As well as Menzik played in rounds one and two, his ability to assert himself behind his serve, his ability to really do some damage when he has time, particularly to unload on an inside-out forehand, he just hadn't faced pace like that of Taylor Fritz and Fritz's ability to get that ball into Menzik's body, Fritz's ability to punish anything that was left short. Fritz also was able to mix in some drop shots. He was the more fluid of the two athletes. I mean, Menzik hit six winners in the match. Fritz, 25 winners, 10 aces. I mean, you know, this one wasn't particularly close. Taylor Fritz advancing in a comfortable 6-1, 6-2, 6-love fashion. First fourth round for him at the U.S. Open. First big slam result for Taylor Fritz this season. And, you know, again, he has won everywhere but the slams this year. Taylor's had a cons- – he's been top 10 all year long. And, you know, you look for Taylor now. He's 48-19 overall this year, winning 72% of his matches. The problem was second-round loss, five sets Australian Open. You know, uh, third-round loss to Surundalo, four sets Roland Garros. Second-round loss, Emer at Wimbledon, five sets. He hadn't made a second week at a major. Now he has, you put that on top of all the Masters 1,000 level success he's had, a couple of titles picked up in Atlanta, in Delray Beach earlier this season. 
it's a top 10 season for Taylor Fritz. And what's so amazing is you look for Fritz now, who, by the way, overall on hard courts this year, 34 and 9 overall in the season. That number, I believe, has to be what? It's got to be number one, number two on the ATP tour so far this year. You know, again, he has unequivocally been one of the 10 best hardcourt players on the season. And you could say that about his three compatriots as well in Tommy Paul, in Francis Tiafo, And, you know, again, okay, you can say that about his two other compatriots. You probably can't say that about Ben Shelton. You can say that about him at the slams, but you probably can't say that about him more broadly. And look, Fritz is second in total hardcourt wins. You know, Tommy's tied for fourth. And or is he tied for fourth or is he tied for third? Let me get that correct. I apologize. Tommy's tied for third. You know, it's him, it's Demon Hour, tied for third behind Medvedev, Fritz, and Sinner in terms of total hard court wins this season. And look for Tommy, again, it was never really in doubt. Six love, six one, uh excuse me, six one, six love, three, six, six, three. He knocks out Davidovich Fokina. Now, you know, it was a sloppy day for Davidovich Fokina, particularly the first two sets. It's just, there was no rhythm. Tommy found the net so easily. Tommy was dominating behind his first serve. He went 12 of 15 in set number one, 11 of 13 on set in set number two, faced just two break points in the opening two sets, and obviously went unbroken, dropped just one game in those opening two sets. Things got real in sets three and four. Davidovich Fokina starting to play with more margin, starting to swing more freely on the backhand down the line. And yet, you know, again, on a day where Tommy made just 57% of his first serves, his serve, his plus one forehand, it was the most consistent weapon. It was the most consistent pattern on the day. And look, ultimately, the unforced errors just Davidovich Fokina plays a loose service game in the fourth. That compiled with the unforced errors of set one and two. He, he dug himself too big of a hole to climb himself out of for Tommy to come back from a really physical five-set win over Safiulin in round number two and get off the court in a pretty breezy four-set round three win and now again he's got a matchup with Ben Shelton where he is a heavy favorite in round four and obviously he beat Shelton in the quarters in Australia earlier this year Tommy's fourth, like tied for fourth most hardcourt wins this year. He's made semis in Australia. Now fourth rounds here uh, at, at the U.S. Open. By the way, his draw at the U.S. Open probably harder than what we saw his draw in Australia. Uh, how we saw his draw in Australia unfold. He beats Alcaraz and makes a semifinal in Canada. Plays a spectacular match in a final or semi, whatever that was, against Demon Hour in Mexico back in February. Like, Tommy's had a stellar season. Tommy has been one of the 12, 13 best guys and pretty clearly one of the 10 best hardcourt players as well. And, you know, again, that's a really good win for Tommy. And then it's the fourth or fifth straight year Francis has made the fourth round at the round of 16, uh, round of 16 in at the U.S. Open. And, you know, again, you look for Francis, another four-set winner for the Americans. He gets through 4-6, 6-2, 6-3, and then a really tricky 7-6 fourth set over Adrian Manorino, who... Goes down a break, 2-1 in the second. Plays eight of the best points I think I've ever seen consecutively. Not just to break back, but to hold that love. And he actually goes up 4-2. And then Tiafo works his way back. And it's a really fun breaker. Tiafo takes 8-6. I mean, Manorino's a shot maker. I don't know how he does it. How he keeps that ball from flying into the back tarp. But 
If he catches the ball correctly, it's going to stay low on you. It's going to make you uncomfortable. And Tiafo was just ready for the fight physically. Again, his serve, his forehand were the two biggest weapons on the court. He's top 10 in hold percentage this season. He's top 10 in hard court wins this year. Now, you know, again, fourth straight or fifth straight U.S. Open fourth round for Tiafo, who is a prohibitive favorite against Rinki Hijikata in the fourth round as well. And then should he get through that, guaranteed to face an American in either Shelton or Tommy in the quarters. Talk about a massive opportunity because Taylor Fritz is a heavy, heavy favorite in his round of 16 matchup against Dom Stricker, who's played 10 sets in his last two matches. I talked about this scenario at the start of the tournament. It was my prediction in my draw preview. I didn't have Shelton in the mix, but Fritz, Tiafo, Paul are all favorites to get to the quarterfinals. Not, not oh, they're a couple of matches away, and if they hold seed. No, 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 no. They are all favorites in their fourth-round matches to get to the U.S. Open quarterfinals. And, you know, again, shout out to our friends at Opta Ace for doing the research for us to have at least four men through to uh, the round of 16 at the U.S. Open. It's the first time since 2011 that's happened for the Americans. Now, of course, if Michael Moe wins, it'll be the most in the round of 16 since 1995. And again, the 90s are considered the golden era in American tennis. How many times this year have we said American men have accomplished X, Y, or Z for the first time since the 1990s? The one thing that was missing was a definitive slam run. Yeah, Tommy was good. In Australia, and there were moments at Wimbledon, certainly at the French Open, where American guys had some success, but this is a breakthrough where they all had success together. Tommy, Taylor, Francis, who have so often been linked at the hip, they're all through to week number two. And, you know, again, for Francis to get through in the fashion that he did, the physicality he always displays in these three out of five set matches. And, you know, again, now you look for Tiafo overall on the year. He's what? I think a ridiculous 36 and 14. So he's won 72% of his matches. Semifinals Indian Wells. Quarterfinals DC. Now fourth round here at the U.S. Open after losses to Rayanich Stan in the North American Hardcourt 1000 level events. This is a very good bounce back for Tiafo, who hasn't had the toughest draw, but has done well to defend his job as favorite. And that's really all you can ask for. So again, Francis and American men's tennis doing exceptional. And then again, just what a bright spot to add Ben Shelton into that mix as well. He's won three matches at two events this year, the Australian Open and the U.S. Open. And that is how you find yourself if you're Ben Shelton currently sitting at 36 in the live rankings. And by the way, Taylor's eight in the points race, Tommy's 11th, Tiafo's 13th, all very much alive in terms of their hopes of getting to the year-end finals this season. And, you know, again, Taylor in particular, he's around ahead. If he Let's assume Zverev wins today over Dimitrov. Taylor will trail Zverev by 20 points for that final spot, but he's now within 250 of Holger Runa, who we don't know how much we're going to see of the rest of this season. You know, Tommy's about 400 points behind Taylor. Tiafo another 400 points behind that. Still a lot with with a friend, uh, U.S. Open semifinal spot and the points that come with it. Very much in play for all three of those guys. Taylor less so since he'd have to go through Djokovic. It's a real race. They're all in it. And again, for Ben Shelton, who has made the you know round of 16, I think, at 
like three events this year. He's 33rd in the fourth in the points race because two of those events have been majors. So again, a shout out to Ben, who for what it's worth, also currently sitting right now at fifth in the race to the next gen finals and pretty sizable lead, 308 points between he and sixth place Luca Van Asha. Shelton's going to be in the next gen finals, which in your first, first full tour season, 20 years old, you're with the best peers of your generation. That's all you can ask for to round out your first tour year and the bonuses that come with it. And, you know, again, for Ben, when he serves well, that serve just looks untouchable. By the way, Tiafo is really good on serve. 15 aces, won 84% of his first serve points, only faced four break points in the match, 47 winners, 35 unforced errors. Shelton hit 26 aces. Dropped just eight points behind his first serve on the match. 38 winners against just 15 unforced errors. He dropped one point on serve in set number one. He dropped five points on serve in set number three. He dropped no points behind his first serve, six points behind his second serve in set number four. When Ben dominates on serve, he dominates. And that first serve just rifles through the court, gives him easy plus one opportunities, which he can clean up so nicely. You know, again, Karatsev, because of his bigger ground stroke takebacks, he just couldn't do anything on the return of serve. And then if it looked like he found his rhythm in set number two, he didn't. And the moment Ben took that break lead in set number three, the energy behind that break lead, the energy he takes to get an early break lead in set four as well, it was just never in doubt. And I I think Francis is as good. I think Elkaraz is as good. I don't think there's anyone better at capturing and utilizing a, a pro, be, uh, pro him crowd more so than Ben Shelton. I mean, guy's electric. Just money. And it helps that you can rifle serves 147 as he did during the day because that's something for everyone to celebrate. But again, 26 aces. Dropped eight points on his first serve through the entire match. Faced just two break points in the match. 25 double faults for Karatsev didn't help. But again, he just felt pressure because Ben's taken big cuts on the second on the return of serve because he's that confident right now behind his own serve. You know, Ben is through. He gets another look at Tommy, an all-American matchup. You wonder, is that going to be a night match on Ash? If it is, mm, is it exciting? Americans go 4-0. On the day, most since 2011, Michael Moe still to play into the fourth round of this men's singles competition. And again, you're guaranteed at least one quarter finalist. You really should have three. You're guaranteed, for, if you have three, a semifinalist as well. This is the signature run American men needed to just, again, put the feather in the cap of what has been the truly definitive capital B breakout season for the American men who have reestablished a place back in, in in the conversation at the top of the men's tennis game. Not at the top, but in the conversation surrounding the top of the men's tennis game. That said, that's your big American tennis update. We got a bunch more to rapid fire through here. I know, Iga fans, I apologize. I haven't spent a lot of time talking about her. What is there to say? 0-1. She knocks out her friend, Kaya Yuvan. 0-1. 0-1. 0-1. It's like her... I saw the stat. I, I apologize. And shout out to Opta Ace, who, again, have been rock solid on the stats. Um, you look at Opta Ace, what was it? It was Goff is the, sec- is the second American teenager to make the round of 16 at the U.S. Open on multiple occasions. There are two teenagers who have done it since 2000. Her 
and Serena Williams. That's ridiculous. Kirstea, fourth top 10 victory of 2023 in beating Rabakada. Mentioned that earlier as well. What was the other opt-based stat? Dominic Stricker, only the second era, uh, second Swiss qualifier in the open era to reach a men's round of 16 at the Grand Slam. Joining Lorenzo Mata, Manta, who did it in 99. Hijikata, first Australian Open wildcard in the open era to reach the round of 16 at the U.S. Open. First at a major since Nick Kyrgios Wimbledon 2014. There's another one, Wozniacki, fourth round at the U.S. Open after seven years absence. That's the fourth longest span this century. None of those are what I was looking for. I was looking for the Iga bagel number. Here it is. Iga has won eight Grand Slam sets, six love in 2023. In the last 30 years, only 2013 Serena, which is a pantheon season. 2013 Serena is one of, it's a top five all-time WTA season. Serena had 13 bagels that year at the majors. Shiantek has eight this year. That matches Azarenka 2012, another all-time season, and Hingis 01, another all-time season. Doesn't even feel like Iga's having a better year than she did last year, and yet she's already matching these historical categories. Eighth bagel, 21 winners, five unforced errors. Kai Yvonne could just never hurt her. Iga's through 0-1. Dominant performance, and there's your wave of Opta-A stats. Again, one of my favorite Twitter follows. In the business, other straight set winner on the day, Carolina Mukhova, uh, who gets through 7-6-6-3 over Taylor Townsend. This was a really fun match. You know, again... Townsend broke once. Muhova broke twice. Um, they exchanged breaks early in that first set. Townsend breaking for 3-2. Muhova, uh, for 3-2 two, three, two or 3-1. Muhova getting that break right back. Townsend had to be more aggressive. So the fact that she hit 39 unforced errors to Muhova's 14, that's not surprising. She was on her front foot. She was looking to pinch forward whenever possible. 25 of 43 at the net. Muhova's just too quick. She's too fluid. She's too... Prepared athletically for those sorts of tests, unless you have elite pace to really pressure that forehand wing, she's going to find a way to find her rhythm. She's going to find a way to find time. And so, again, you look for Carolina Muhova now, uh, thirty-six and twelve overall in the year, seventy-five percent win percentage. Has yet to drop a set at this event. You know, you look at where she's sitting in the draw. Muhova now going to take on Wang Xinyu, then the winner of Benchich Kirstea. Things have really opened up for her to make a second slam semifinal this year. And you look for Carolina Muhova, who's already at seventh in the points race. She's up about, you know, 520 points to be exact on ninth place Petra Kvitova. It's a sizable margin. And there's a real race for ninth place right now. And then you wonder if someone withdraws due to injury. That race for ninth is very, very close. But Muhova is starting to open up a gap. Her and Jabur, to be clear, to uh, against the ninth-ranked player in whoever nine is going to be in this race. And, you know, again, we might have our field sewed up by the end of this U.S. Open in particular if Muhova Vandrosova continue to succeed the way that they have. Muhova through in straight sets. Again, she has been sneaky, sneaky solid so far through this U.S. Open Couple of other three setters, and by the way, we had six three setters for the fourth consecutive day in the women's singles draw. Just a fun statistical note for all of you via Alex Gruskin, not Opta Ace. Ostapenko Para was a real slugfest. Ostapenko four six six three six three. She advances to the fourth round of this major and. Look, Ostapenko's had a really good year. 31 tour-level victories. That's two behind the record she sent last season for herself. Uh, excuse me. 
that the second place record she set for herself. She had 45 in 2017, but again, you look for her now overall on this year, 31 and 16 with still a couple of months left to go. She can get to 40 for the second time in her career. And, you know, again, in reaching the second week here in a, in New York, it's her second time she's done that in a major this season as she reached quarterfinals in Australia. She gets the matchup with Iga, which is always a fun one between those two because Ostapenko does have not only the firepower, but the sort of self-confidence is probably the best way of framing it to say, I don't care who you are, Iga. My best is better than anyone's best. Now, Ostapenko's needed three sets in each of her first three uh, round victories over Paulini, Avenisian, and Para, but... She had to hit through Bernarda Pera because Bernarda Pera brought the sting. Bernarda Pera played loose, played freely, as I anticipated she would in the preview show, and her weapons were an issue for Ostapenko. They got Ostapenko stretched in the outer third where she couldn't swing freely. She didn't have time to get into her, her weaponry, but it was just difficult for Pera to sustain that. Again, Ostapenko threw in another three-set win, sets up a really, really fun matchup between her and Iga Sviantek in round four. Your other three-set winners. How about Belinda Bencic? The quietest 31-11 season we maybe ever seen on the WTA Tour. And that's probably because Bencic is just 15-8 and eight at events at the 500 level or better. But into the fourth round at a major, she's another one of those players. You look at the points race, she's sitting at 10th. She's 19 points behind Petra Kvitova, about 600 points behind Jabir. But you, again, with the ability to pick up about 200 more points, should she get another victory, as she will be favored to do in the round of 16 over Serana Kirstea. Benchich's pace was just a little too much for Julin to overcome. Now, again, Julin's in the midst of a career year, 35 in the live rankings. She's another player currently sitting at 30 in the points race. Has set herself up really well for 2024. This is the sort of, not signature run, get to the quarterfinals, get to the semifinals, then it's a signature run. But this is the sort of first week Benchich really needed at a major to round out this season. Now she gets it as well. And, you know, again, now to say she's been a top 15 player all year long, a little bit easier for me to make that argument the next time I have it with uh, our dear friend David Kane. And then I said Wang Xinyu versus Sarah Cerebas Toro was a match for the fourth round. Well, guess what? It is Wang Xinyu threw in three sets, 4-6-6-3-6-2 over Shmidlova. Talked about the 21-year-old from China, continues a career year, first round, uh, first second week at a major for her, up to a new career high, 39 in the live rankings. Her serve, her forehand. They're real weapons, folks. I don't know how else to say it. And look, I wonder how much gas she'll have left in the tank heading into her round four battle against Carolina Muhova. I think Muhova has to be the favorite because of it. But Wang Xinyu is going to hold serve. Wang Xinyu is going to give her some problems. That serve, again, does have the sort of depth to force Muhova to leave things short on that forehand wing. And so that's an interesting matchup. It's a really good win for the 21-year-old from China, who, again, I feel like I've spent enough time talking about these past two weeks, so we can leave that there. Last three for you, rapid-fire edition on the men's side. This is your update on how the college men performed on the day. Undefeated 3-0. Ben Shelton earning his four-set win. Then how about Rinki Hijikata and Borna Goyo? You look for Hijikata, first time, in singles, because he won the Australian Open doubles title to start the year, to go from that to now inside the top 100 definitively up to number 81 in the live rankings. 
you know, first fourth round in singles at a major in his career. Another impressive win this time, four sets over Zheng Zhen, who you have to wonder, after playing 10 sets in his first two rounds, how much did the 26-year-old from China have left in the gas tank? But Hichikata withstood the first strike. He's so quick. I don't remember his forehand having this much sting as it did in particular in that match. Shout out, Ranky. You could see the excitement in his face, the former UNC All-American, part of that 2021 national indoor winning team, him, Blumberg, Seguin, Kiger. You know, that team holds a special place in my heart. That was one of our first teams here that we got to watch emerge over the years and, you know, go through some adversity of losing the 2020 final and kind of giving that one away to taking the 2021 final from Baylor's grasp. Uh, no, that's not fair because Baylor played a good match as well. Um, anyways, shout out Ranky. 81 in the live rankings. He has the quickness. He has the gumption. Guy's a fighter and has sneaky. It's not even sneaky. He has pop. Like he is just an explosive athlete, even if he's not the tallest. He is through in four sets. And then, you know, again, another guy who had 10 sets of tennis on his body coming in, born a Goyo. But you can't, don't hate the player. Hate the game. You can only play the person who lines up across from you from the net. And look, Goyo just did enough in the first set, absorbing that first strike. He had Yuri Vesely down. He never let up. And the serve has always been explosive, but he's tweaked that technique. He's tweaked his forehand technique. It's just become that much more proficient. Bornegoyo threw to the fourth round at a major for the first time in his career, up to number 76 in the live rankings, is the 25-year-old. And again, these guys played multiple years of college tennis. Goyo now 25, Hijikata 22, both inside the top 100. You throw them on the list with the Borgeses, with the Kopfers, the Vukiches, the Hanfmans. All these guys come from the college ranks, have breakout years here in 2023. You know, you add that to the Rinder Kineshes, Gerones, McDonald's, Norries of the world, obviously the Isner era over, but... Chris Eubanks, another breakout guy this year. You starting to see a trend, folks? There's a reason we're so excited about college tennis all the time here at Cracked Rackets. And now finally, perhaps it's breaking through in a mainstream sense. And speaking of breaking through into the top 100, welcome Dom Stricker and reaching the fourth round, the 21-year-old up to a new career high, number 87. He gets a five-set win, was pushed to the limits against Benjamin Bonzi for him to get through that test physically. I don't know how much gas will be left in the tank in his round four matchup against Taylor Fritz. Again, I expect Fritz to get through comfortably, but it's a heck of a result. It's a heck of a week. And again, the lefty has top 25 sort of ball striking ability. And it's just a question of when will the floor match in, match out, match what he's clearly capable of from a ceiling perspective. It's a massive week, a massive breakthrough moment for Dom Stricker. That said, it's all 16, folks, under an hour. That's everything that happened on day five on a singles court at the 2023 U.S. Open. Now, as we move into week two, we will talk a little bit more doubles here on this show. But, of course, if you're looking for preview content, the Great Shot podcast feed is the place for you. A shout-out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the f*** of an editing job he does Day in, day out, making all of our content possible. A shout out as well to our dear friends at Tennis Point. Remember, it's tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15 for all of the latest and greatest products in the tennis world. With all of that said, for our fantastic super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break. And we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.